0: You're listening to messages from Cuyahoga Valley Church in Broadview Heights, Ohio. If you're looking for more resources or want to get in touch, please head to our website at www.cvconline.org. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your day and help you experience new life in Christ. It's always good to be in the house of the Lord and be together. As we see the church returning to church, as we see the church more and more people returning to the physical attendance of the church, uh, we get to practice the one another's more and more. We get to love each other. We get to esteem one another. We get to show care for one another. We get to touch one another. We get to encourage one another and challenge one another. Part of our worship is always that. You see, God is really pleased that these guys bring songs that stir our hearts and give us an opportunity with song to, to worship him. But God is greatly pleased as well when we live out the commandments that we are to be this way with one another. It gives him joy that you love one another. It gives God joy to see his people at peace with one another, encouraging each other. So the service will end in you a know, certain number of minutes. But the service isn't over as you as you gather, as you leave, as you speak a word, as you put a hand on a shoulder, as you show loving kindness. See, love is what lasts. (laughs) Love is the banner. Love is the distinguishing factor. And so, yeah, this pastor has been transformed over these last 40 some years by the love of God that was shed in my heart by the Holy Spirit that I love you guys. I don't know all you personally, I can't, but I know I love you guys and I pray for you and I seek God for your favor, I seek God for your blessings, I seek God for his hand to be upon you, and even this hour, there are people praying for you now, which greatly encourages us as pastors, that each time we take this position near the pulpit, as we call it, that there are people praying, praying, because prayer is key. It's absolute key to the work of the Spirit in our hearts. As we'll see today when Paul finishes his letter to the Ephesians. But in case you're here, and this might be your one and only, like maybe you said to mom or someone, I'll give it a shot. I'll give it a one try. You know, I'll come here and let me check it out. I just want to remind you of something. It's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about him. It's all about his person and his work and his goodness and his greatness. A friend of mine wrote this: "Why are we so much making a big deal about Jesus?" He was asked. And this was his answer. "I can't do better." About Jesus, all divine names and titles are applied to him. He is called God, the Mighty God, the Great God, God over all, Jehovah. Lord of lords and king of kings. All divine attributes are ascribed to him. He is declared to be omnipresent, omniscient, almighty, and immutable. The same forever, yesterday, today, and forever. He is set forth as the creator and upholder and the ruler of the universe. All things were created by him and for him. And by him, all things consist. He is the object of our worship, and all intelligent creatures worship him. All angels are commanded to prostrate themselves before him and worship him. He is the object of all religious sentiment, of reverence, of love, and faith, and devotion. To Jesus, men and angels are responsible for their character and their, their conduct. Jesus required that men should honor him, and as they honor the Father, that they should exercise the same faith in him that they do in God. Jesus declares that he and the Father are one, and that if you have seen him, you have seen the Father. He calls all men unto himself, promises to forgive their sins. He promises to send them the Holy Spirit to give them rest and peace to raise them from their, on their last day and to give them eternal life. God is not more than Jesus and cannot promise more or do more than Christ is said to be. He has therefore been the Christians, God from the beginning in all ages, in all places. Let's pray. Father, Oh, how we worship you, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in that holy huddle you had before the beginning of time when you knew the future of mankind would be, that there would be a, a need for a rescue. Father, we worship you because you were willing to give your only son. Father, you were willing to send him and let him die and be punished for us. Jesus, you were willing to come to leave the glory of heaven and to come down here on this dirty earth, walk this sod as God and sacrifice your life for us, how we worship you today. And Spirit of the living God, Holy Spirit, we thank you, we praise you, we worship you as well for building the church, renewing our lives, giving us a second birth, helping us to know who God is. Thank you for the word that you've given. Thank you for the church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. In your name we pray, amen, amen. So we're picking up today where we left off last week. If you were here, Pastor Rick Duncan was speaking out of Ephesians 6. If you have a Bible or an app, would you please go there? Ephesians 6. We're looking at verses from chapter 6, 10 through 20 today in kind of rapid form. If you're online, we welcome you as well. We're glad you're with us. And I appeal to you online, you might want to come back. For the joy of the Lord, it has come forth when we're together. If you need to stay away, that's fine too. God bless you. So today we're looking at Ephesians 6, and we're looking at this closure of a letter. Paul has written this fabulous letter known as the letter to Ephesus, And he's talked to them about all kinds of realities, spiritual realities, and just practical realities. And he's closing the letter. And if you've written a long letter to anybody, you know the end of the letter is so critical. Like, how do you close it out? What are the final words? And that's where we're at. And Paul, realizing in the finality of the letter, he must make sure that they understand the battle, the war, the conflict, this reality that we're all in. So let's read together from Ephesians 6. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So what I want to do is remind you guys of the warfare and the forms that it takes. So we'll look at this little graphic, and maybe you can get a copy of it in the lobby later. But the the enemy comes not only through dark, sinister demonic means, which he does, he also comes at us constantly through the world and the flesh, right? The world is under the prince of darkness. The world has its appeals. In the, in the scriptures, it simply says that if you love the world, you're at enmity with God. We cannot love the world. John says, do not love the world, the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of God is not in him. And so take a look at that. See, this is the external attack. So we all live in the world. The Bible says that we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're strangers. We're aliens. We're citizens of heaven. Our names are in a book of life. We already are in heavenly places, seated with Christ above all prince of powers. That's what was in Ephesians. We're already in Christ, and Christ is in God and in heaven. I don't understand it all. I know I'm here on the stage right now, but I know also I'm already there because I'm in Christ, and Christ is in God, and he's in heavenly places. So what what do we do with this attack that's constant, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life? Well, which is what we do? We evaluate what's being offered, right? And we turn against it. We flee. We flee when when it's the lust of the flesh, right? We flee. We run from some forms of sin and attraction. When it comes to the lust of the eyes, we look at it, and we want it, and so our envy and our greed starts, right? We have to fight this all the time. It's constant. The pride of life. That's what, this is the quote. It's my life, and I'm going to do what I want. Yike. We have to fight against the idea that it's your life. Your life exists. You, you, you breathe your next breath because of the mercies of God. You live because God chose to let you live today. Many people will be in the obituaries tomorrow. Your life is as long as he chooses it to be. He gives you life. He gives you mercy every day. It doesn't belong to you. You didn't create yourself. He brought you forth, right? So we're fighting against that. We're fighting against the world. Okay, now that's a constant, right? And then secondly, we're fighting against the flesh. I am a son of Adam, and many of you out here are daughters of Eve. Therefore, you've inherited the same thing I have, a selfish nature, a sinful nature. I want to sin. I like sinning. I enjoy the sin for a moment. It's pleasurable. I enjoy it. And the flesh is in me. Paul in Romans 7, you know the story. He's wrestling. The things I want to do, I'm not doing. The things I don't want to do, I keep doing. Who's going to deliver me from this wretched thing? Jesus will deliver you, right? But the flesh is a constant battle. We have to flee it. We have to renew our minds like Ephesians 3 talked about. We preached on it right here. We have to renew our minds. We have to be transformed by the work of the, the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And we must be filled with the Spirit. Hey, Jorge's right there, you know. He's a pretty good guy, gives good things to his children, whatever, right? But the Bible says about him, You being evil know how to give good things to your children. How much more would the Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask? How often are you praying that? How often are you praying that? What an enormous prayer! It's this simple, Father, fill me with your spirit that I may walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, that I may walk in purity and holiness today. Oh, God, I'm going out into a dark and deep and dirty world. I'm striding out with demons attacking me and the world and the flesh work with them. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your purity Without holiness, no one's going to see God. It's it's the work of God in us during this season of life that we live on earth after our salvation, that we are sanctified, we are set apart. We're more like Jesus. I get this absolutely thrilling opportunity as a pastor to watch transformation happen. I get to see men and women come to our church, and they are so unlike Jesus. They come through those doors really just troubled with sin and habits and addictions, and they come in, and I get to see them lay their life down and submit to God. And I watch the work of God in their lives over the years, and I see new men and new women emerge, and it is absolutely thrilling. I work with a men's ministry in particular, and I get to see these men being transformed as they study God's word and pray together and they spend life together. I get to see them be transformed into Jesus-like people. Isn't that what we're here for? To be made in the image. The final battle, of course, is in the spiritual realm. That's what this whole Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 is all about. It's not just the flesh. It's not just the world. It is a spiritual domain. It is a hidden darkness. It is coming up. These demons are out to get us. How many of you have read C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters? Raise them higher so I can see. Okay, homework. Read the book, Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. It's a book written from a... Screwtape is a high-ranking demon, and he's writing a letter to a low-ranking demon named Wormwood, and he's telling him how to trip up every man and every woman and how to ruin their prayer life and ruin their church life and ruin their faith. And it gives you insights galore. Insights galore. The best book I've read in the last years... I'm reading now is a book about warfare. It's called The Christian in Complete Armor by William Grinnell. It's 400 years old, and it's 1,400 pages, and it is killing me. It is so good. It is so wonderful, so rich. I'm not recommending you read this, so don't throw rocks at me or whatever, okay? But I'm telling you, as a pastor, I know this, that Charles Spurgeon on Sunday night, after preaching to 10,000s of people, his wife would read to him from this book. That was his request. To his wife, would you please read to me this book in my fatigue? And I'm sitting up nights with this book saying, thank you, Jesus, for recording this for us. Thank you for helping us with pastors and teachers. Is the demonic real? Rick talked about it last week. What are you, blind? What you don't see, evil marching in the world? You don't see it? Psychologists can't explain it. There is evil in the world. There's an evil presence in this world. And it's dark and it's sinister. If you read the Bible, you know it's demonic. Read the Gospels. Jesus is being confronted with demons frequently, right? They made this woman bent and afflicted for 18 years. She was bent and afflicted, and the doctors couldn't cure because a demon had done that to her. Do I believe that still happens? Yes. That doesn't change. Hey, the, the demons were sent into the pigs. You mean demons can invest in pigs? Yes, they ran and they dove off the cliffs. You mean demons can do that? Yes. Jesus was tempted by them, right? He's in the wilderness. They tempt him and they tempt him and they tempt him. We only know of three temptations, but you can be sure there were hundreds. And in all those temptations, Jesus didn't sin. Once in a while, we get a glimpse of the manifestation of darkness. Once in a while, as pastors and leaders, we actually see demonic stuff. It's not that hard to see sometimes. And sometimes it's frightening. Sometimes it's so real that you wish you weren't in the room. You wish you weren't with the people. Because that kind of demonic oppression is very real. I hope I never have to be involved in another one again. But I've seen those things. If you, want to, if you don't think demons are real, huh. Keith Green said, yeah, it's so easy anymore. He was singing a song for Satan 40 years ago, Keith Green. And he said, it's getting very easy now because nobody believes in me anymore. My world is just a spinning top. <laughs> it's like child's play, Satan says, because they don't believe in me anymore. So I get right in there. I write the magazines. I write the media. I write the entertainment. Yeah, I'm right in there. and They don't even believe I exist. It's getting very easy now because nobody believes in me anymore. That's what he's saying. Do you believe? If you can't, you can't not believe in that and be a Christian. You, you have to understand. So Paul, wonderful Paul, he's in prison. He's in prison. He's chained, right? He's in a Roman prison. His life's going to end soon. But he's there trying to equip the saints, equip the saints, equip the saints for their ministry. He's one little man. He's at the end of his life. He's broken down. But he's equipping the saints for the warfare. So let's look at this, these, these scriptures, okay? Let's look together. It's a whole armor that must be put on. In verse 13, we get this whole armor, right? You can't go to war without a helmet. Duh! So if you're not saved, good luck. (laughs) The helmet of salvation is the only thing that qualifies you to go out there and fight the enemy. Right? But the whole armor. You can't go out there without a breastplate of righteousness, without the righteousness of Christ. Forget it. Your righteousness is filthy rags, the Bible says. You want to fight You want to stand firm over and over and over. Stand, stand firm, stand, therefore stand, right? And stance is everything. Any of you that are athletic or have been trained in gymnastics or volleyball or football or whatever sport, if you've been in any sport, you know this. Coach starts with stance. How do you want us to stand, coach? Well, you know, we want you to stand with a level base. We want you to get, you know, we want you this or we want you to be there. But we want to stance. And the stance starts with understanding we have to stand firm. We are not charging. The the call is not a charge. This is not about an offensive charge. Like, okay, get ready, set, go, let's run. No, it's not. It's Jesus saying, stand firm. The battle is mine. The battle is mine. I got this. I'm the true champion. I've defeated the enemy. We sing, the battle is the Lord's. And he will overcome his enemies with his right hand. He will overcome. It's his battle. It's his armor. It's his power, his strength given to every person in this church. I don't care how tiny the lady is. I don't care if she's mealy. I don't care if she's quiet. She can be a super warrior for God. It isn't about machoism and manliness. It isn't about how big your shoulders are. Mary Ann's a warrior. She doesn't like I picked on her. I never told her I'd say that. She's a warrior. Elizabeth Hess, who lost her husband two days ago. Elizabeth Hess lost Bob Hess two days ago. Bob went to be with the Lord 60-some years serving Jesus. Beautiful, beautiful man, beautiful woman. And now Elizabeth alone, but she's never alone. I was with them. She's quoting scriptures to me. I'm going, yes, Elizabeth. Yes, Elizabeth. Yes, Elizabeth. What a warrior this little 89-year-old Italian gal is. It's not about size and strength. It's not about human power. It's about taking the things that God is giving us and putting them on and standing firm. The whole armor. You must wear all the armor. And that includes prayer, which we'll get to. So don't tell me, well, yeah, I know this by heart. I was a little kid. Helmet, breastplate, shield, sword, belt, shoes. See, I got it. (laughs) Yeah, you got it. You can recite that. But are you standing in it? Are you living in it? Why is Marianne a warrior? Why is Elizabeth a warrior? Because they have an intimate relationship with God. Because of the relationship with God. I know Elizabeth, she prays a lot. I know Elizabeth, she worships a lot. It's not about, you know, boy, I got this armor on. I must look pretty tough, hey? I look like a butt kicker up here. Don't I, I got my armor on? You could be the weakest man knowing about the armor. But once we put the armor on, we become soldiers for Christ. We become warriors for Christ. Some of the strongest warriors I know are very weak in their fleshy outfits, but they are powerful with God. They pull down strongholds by prayer. They defeat enemies' plans. They destroy the schemes of the devil through prayer and righteous living. That's what we're talking about. You got to put the whole armor on. This is an action, you guys. You got to do this. How do we do this? Rick Duncan said it four times last week. We fight this war from our knees. We fight this war from our knees. That's what was said four times last week. This belongs to me. It sits in my office. I bought it at a garage sale. As a pastor, it reminds me so often, Dale, get on your knees before God. Bend low, Dale. He's the creator. He's the almighty, and you're a piece of dust get low. Kneel before God. Kneel. And sometimes lower than that. Sometimes face on carpet. Face on carpet. That's when I feel he's near. That's when I eliminate pride. <laughs> I'm on my face. I'm on my knees. Okay. Okay. Let's go to verse 14. The belt of truth, right? The belt of truth is so critical. In war, Paul's looking at him. He's looking at the soldier. He's saying, man, that belt's important. It's girded around him, all the other, all the other things attached to it, right? Truth. This is truth. In a, in a society that doesn't even believe in truth, this is truth. The word of God is the truth. The Bible even says, thy word is truth. Jesus said when he came, I have come to testify to the truth, to the word of God. This is true. And so you must be a person of truth. Lying is what the enemy does. He's the father of lies. Integrity is what Christians have. We speak the truth. And we don't only just speak the truth in our personal interactions, but we speak the truth about God and about salvation, and about these matters of eternity. We have this truth, so we have to be girded with the truth. We have to have it all over us. And wait a minute, what are you saying? Well, Jesus said, I am the truth. That's what I mean. This is hard. I am the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. My word is true. My word sets you free. So we have to be those that have the word of God and Christ abiding in us, in us, through us. we got to be branches connected to that vine. That's the, beginning of the, that's the beginning of the outfit. The Bible says word of truth, right? Is the truth. I'm asking you this question. Are you a person living with truth as a defining quality of your life? Is Jesus so much your identity, that you're girded up with truth. Verse 14 also talks about the breastplate of righteousness, right? Having put it on. Well, yeah, our righteousness is like filthy rags. Here's a soldier. You tell him, here, put these rags on and go out there. Good luck. They won't protect your vital organs. You'll be killed the first spear that gets through, the first arrow that gets through. We have to put on his righteousness. Remember when young David was going to fight Goliath and they tried to put Saul's armor on him and it was way too big? And and, and David said, I don't need that. I'm going in the name of the Lord, our God. I'm going in the name of our God. And he went into the battle with faith in the power of God. That's how we have to go forward. The enemy comes against you so often with shame and guilt, shame and guilt, shame and guilt. Lie, lie, lie. He keeps telling you, you're no good. You'll never be good enough. The answer is correct. I will never be good enough. Every time the enemy tries to remind us of these lies about, oh, you sinned again. You go, yeah, it was on that cross. Oh, you failed again. See, his work is to shame and to guilt and to depress and to work heavily on our standing. And our standing is in Christ, in God. We have his righteousness. I I cannot put into words the glory in 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 the gospel that god has given me his righteousness and he's given it to every saint he's given you his righteousness and what did you give him your pile of sins the pile you still even add to behind me there's a huge pile of sin that was that is and was and will be dale's sin and All of it is covered by the righteousness of Christ. All of it. We put that on. We stand firm knowing that we have his righteousness on our account and it's finished. That's a complete exchange. My sin for his righteousness. Look at Isaiah 59. Isaiah's writing about a Savior that's coming. He doesn't know its name. his name is Jesus, but 700 years before Jesus, he wrote this. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. Huh? I thought that was Paul's word. No, that's Isaiah. See, Paul's pulling out of the history of the church the message of a Messiah is coming, a Savior is coming. And he put on righteousness. And he put on the helmet of salvation. It was Christ's. And that's where we stand. We stand with these implements of war, but they're not ours. They're the armor of God. They're not our armors, right? Paul's saying we stand in the things that belong to God. These mighty items are ours. They're ours through the gospel. Okay, let's go to verse 15. I've mentioned a few things, right? So how important are shoes? Well, if you're a soldier going into war, You must have the proper shoes. You must be fitted. They're the foundation of your fight. They're the foundation of your stance. You have to have the shoes. What kind of shoes does does Paul, when he's looking at that soldier, what is he thinking about? Our shoes are fitted and prepared with the gospel. A big struggle for us now, more than any other time in my life, is giving the gospel. The struggle of going out there into a secular society that wants to shun Christians and telling them about Jesus. Yeah, that's a struggle. Yeah, that takes courage. Yes, that's the order of God. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Yes, those are marching orders. Okay, so we're in this lineup, right? We got our shields. We got our armor. We, you know, we God's call to us is stand your ground. Hold your ground. I'll win the battle. I'll take them out. The battle's mine. But when you go forth, go forth with the gospel of peace. Go forth with the gospel of reconciliation. Go forth and tell them about a God who is rescuing, a God who is eternal, a God who is pursuing them. Go forth with the gospel. These are the shoes that we wear. Hmm. So look again at Isaiah. Old, 700 years old. What's this shoe stuff? Isaiah writes, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. You and I carry the best news, the very best news that mankind could ever hear. And that is that they can be forgiven. They can be given eternal life. They can be rescued. All they have to do is bend that knee and come to Christ. Not a room this size. Not everybody here is a Christian. How do I know that? I don't know that. I just figure by by the odds. If you have not come to Christ, if you've not surrendered your life to him, I implore you to do so. If you haven't had that moment where you know that it's a moment with God, it's a divine moment, and your soul is touched by him, I implore you to do this. Surrender to Jesus. Surrender. Get off the throne. Let him sit on the throne of your life. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. The best decision that all the saints in this room ever made was they came to Christ. And it was the work of God drawing them and drawing them. And I pray you will. You know, in heaven... There's going to be some people up there. They're going to get hugged so hard by me, I might break a heavenly rib. But when I see my grandma, who told me about Jesus, and I said, no. And then she told me about Jesus, and I said, no. And she told me about Jesus, and I said, no, grandma, not. Not going to read that Bible. Not going to Billy Graham with you. Not. She told me about the love of Christ, and she prayed over me. And her Bible, my name is in her Bible, and she prayed over me. How beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news. How beautiful is it that someone came to you and you didn't want to hear this and they told you about Jesus Christ. How beautiful are those feet. I don't know if I'm going to hug my grandma's feet, but I know this. (laughs) Edith Pascura is in for a heck of a hug because she told me and she told me and she told me. How thankful are you that someone took the gospel and came to you with it? How thankful should you be the pastors who stand up here week by week and tell your loved ones and tell your friends about a Savior who can save anyone? How beautiful it is that we have this mission to go forth and share the gospel and give the gospel and be part of the rescue and build the kingdom of God. Man, I'm telling you, my grandma and a couple others are in for it because God used them, and God will use you. She was a sixth-grade graduate, period. That's as far as her education went, sixth grade. But she knew God. She loved Jesus, and she told me about him. I don't know where we're at. <laughs> I don't. I know where I'm at. I'm getting heavenly visions, and they're, they're gorgeous. Uh, man. So where are we? I think verse um, 16. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm lost here. Verse 16, the field of faith. What are we speaking of? Well, we're talking about the one defensive thing we have, the shield that God gives us by the word of God. We stand with a shield of faith like Jesus did in the temptation three times using the word of God. Use the word of God. Use the word of God. The Christian life is a life of faith, you guys. It's a life of faith. Trust. His work on the cross, I trust it. His resurrection, I trust in his ascension and his rule in heaven and his soon coming. We believe these things not because we see them, but because the Holy Spirit is revealed to them in the work of the Holy Spirit through the scriptures, through the preaching of God's word. It's all about faith. How do you build your faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Read your Bible. Keep reading your Bible. Don't stop reading your Bible. Intake, intake, intake. Listen to the Bible. Hear the word of God. Paul says to Timothy, study to show yourself approved. Study the Bible. Learn it. Read the stories. You know what story got me this week? I'm going to go over time and I'm going to get in trouble, but here I go. So God is so angry at Israel. They're out in the wilderness and they are so defiant. They refuse to surrender to God. They refuse to obey him. And God's talking to Moses and going, I'm taking them out. God's wrath, just wrath, was I'm going to take them out. I'm going to remove them and start over. One man. Moses, just like me, knucklehead, one guy said, No, 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 Lord. No, 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 Lord. And he began to pray. And he stood in the gap and he prayed. And God relented and he didn't take him out. One guy saved the thousands upon thousands and thousands of people's lives. One person. And who are you standing in the gap for? Who will you not let fall? Who are you standing in the gap for, is making heart cry for their souls? Heaven hears you. God hears every prayer, and God answers prayer. Who are you standing in the gap for? Chaz's heart is to see people come to Christ. That's what his heart is all about. He's our senior leader. His heart is all about seeing people come, lost people come to Christ. Chad needs your prayers. Charles Spurgeon after speaking to tens of thousands of people every Sunday, this great British preacher in the 1800s was asked this question, Charles, how do you explain the power of your pulpit that so many people come to Christ? His answer was there is one thing. It is the prayers of the people of my church. So I'm asking you, how's your prayer life? How often are you praying? How frequent is the appointment with God? How often are you before him? A friend of mine recently wrote an article about him returning to his knees. That's why I brought the kneeler out. I brought it from that office, my office down here. This pastor friend of mine said, listen, I've returned to going on my knees before God because it puts him in the right position and me in the right position. I'm dust and he's eternal and infinite and awesome. So my challenge without asking permission, I didn't go to the elders and say, can I say this in church? I didn't do that. I'm saying this in church to the church, you guys. Will you get on your knees alone with the Lord? Will you humble yourself? God is drawn to the humble. It's pretty humble when you get down on your knees. It's a low place. Physically, you'll feel the weakness that works on you. Your back might hurt. Your knees get uncomfortable. And those are great reminders of just what you are and who he is. So as a pastor, I'm challenging you guys. Would you do that? I'm asking you. And as Paul, in verses 19 and 20, he's got nothing left. He's changed. He's got two years to live in a prison, and he's dead. They're going to kill him. But what's he praying for in verses 19 and 20? Prayer for me. Prayer for me. Please pray for me. Please pray for me. Because he knows every opportunity of evangelism, whether he's going to talk to the Romans or he's going to talk to the Jews who come in Acts 28, 20, you can read about it, whether he's going to talk to a slave, whether he's going to talk to Roman soldiers, he's going to tell them about Jesus. But he's saying this, listen, my words aren't going to do it. Your prayers are going to invest in, in this gospel going forward. If you would come to church every Sunday prayerfully, praying for the words of these guys like me, Rick Duncan, Chad, Dean, Joe, I mean, all we are is, look at us. What are we? But we have the power of God to speak for God. We have the power to take his word and put it out here. And so do you. So do you. This isn't armor for pastors only. It's for every saint. Put it on. Put it on. Live in that righteousness. Live in a gospel driven life. Live in a life of truth. Can I pray? We'll close. Father, we corporately bow before you. Our heads are bowed. But not only that, Lord, we want to bow our lives. We want to say, Lord, we belong to you. We are your servants. You are our king. We worship you. We adore you. Lord, we pray that we're sinners often. We pray that you would forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, strengthen our faith. Lord, help us to stand in your righteousness with your helmet of salvation. Help us to build faith by reading your word and take arms against the enemy. Lord, be glorified. Be lifted up. May your name, Jesus, be renowned. And Father, we thank you for letting us be together in church. Hallelujah. Letting us see one another. Lord, help us to love one another as you love us. Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening, friends. If you want to talk about anything that you've heard today, don't hesitate to reach out. You can find contact information and current teaching series on our website, at www.cvconline.org.